0: Well, today we come together to worship and remember our Lord. That is our highest and greatest priority. But today is also a day we've chosen to set aside to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness in two points. First of all, on October 30th, 2023, marks 40 years since this building was officially opened and set aside for use by Noble Park Baptist Church for the worship of God and the ministry of the word. We've been reflecting already. On God's faithfulness over 40 years. October 31st, 2023 also marks 506 years since the recognized beginning of the Protestant Reformation in Europe, although the seeds of that Reformation have been planted and growing for many years prior to it. And we mark those dates as significant. We mark them to pause and remember God's faithfulness, to pause and give thanks, as Victor did, for, to God for his faithfulness to us. And again, to renew our commitment to the Lord and to his work. So I've got two goals this morning in this message. And these are what they are. To remind us of God's faithfulness to us. And to stir up our own faithfulness to the Lord. That he may use us as he has used so many others to continue his work in the gospel. Before I go any further, I just want to take a moment to say on behalf of Heather and I, thank you very much to the church and to the leadership for uh, the tremendous blessing we had of taking five weeks off and going to London and and, uh, Scotland and Wales and and all the rest of it. Uh, We didn't quite get to Ireland. Uh, As some of you have already heard, we both got the flu. I got it. Friday before we left, and poor Heath got it uh, on the Saturday after we got there, and we just dragged it around with us over the most of the time, so we just kind of called a bit of a time out halfway through and took some time to rest, and I'm glad to say that the cold is, uh, you can hear it in my voice, it's going strong, so, you know, we probably should have gone to Ireland in the end of it, but it was a tremendous blessing and tremendous encouragement to go to some tremendous places, not just to see God's beauty of his creation, which... At times, we were just left speechless, uh, the Scottish Highlands in particular, but also to stand and in certain places that were highly significant to the church. Uh, we, I was going to tell you about it later anyway, but I'll tell you about it now. We, um, we were in Oxford, and we knew there was a spot in the pavement where 400-odd uh, years earlier, three men had lost their lives. Not through an accident because they had been chained to a stake and burned alive. And we stood there after we finally found it 45 minutes later and, and we wept to realize that men had suffered and died. Their faithfulness to God and his call had said, led them to say, we will not recant, we will not back down on our convictions and our beliefs in the living God. And they died for their faith. I'll tell you about the other one a little later. God's faithfulness is to be remembered. It's a command of Scripture. And so with this in mind, I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 19 to 24 as the starting point for my message. And we'll launch out from there. I invite you to find that place. And as soon as you have, I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect for God's word. And we're going to read it together. So Joshua 4, verses 19 to 24, would you please stand with me as we read? <clears throat> the word of God says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. As for those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set them up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he had dried up before us until we had crossed, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord that, sorry, that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Loving Father, again, as we would open your word and we would declare its great and wonderful truths, Father, we pray that your spirit would have free reign in all of us. For those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we pray that their word would be sown deeply into our hearts, that we would respond in greater faith, greater love, greater obedience, and worship for the living God. Father, for those here this morning standing in this very room who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father, we cry out to you you for them, that you would open the eyes of their hearts and their minds to understand the truth of the gospel, to understand what it means to be saved. Father, we pray for the salvation of souls this day, and we cry out to you for them. And we ask you all these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. God's faithfulness to his people is to be remembered. But why? Why is it so important that we take time to stop and look back and remember God's faithfulness? I want to give you four reasons. Four reasons why it's important for us to remember God's faithfulness. First, remembering God's faithfulness fuels our faith in God. We remember what God did in and through those people in the past who trusted in him and were inspired and were drawn to trust God as they did. Hebrews 11 recounts the faith of 16 ordinary men and women who by faith in God were greatly used by God. Secondly, remembering God's faithfulness fuels our fear of God. In fact, that's one of the purposes that Joshua gives the people of God, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Remembering God's faithfulness fuels our fear. God, the almighty, all-knowing, unchanging, absolutely holy and just and good God, acting in perfect righteousness and wisdom, is to be feared. I would say one of the great problems of the church in our day is we have lost a sense of the fear of the Lord. He is to be held and viewed in awe and amazement by us and a great respect for him and his authority. Thirdly, remembering God's faithfulness fuels our obedience Seeing God's faithfulness to honor and bless and abide with those who obeyed his word fuels our obedience. And seeing God's faithfulness to discipline and punish those who disobeyed and disregarded, as we were reading in Deuteronomy just a while ago, it fuels our obedience to him and to his word. And we see that God disciplines those who disobey and God blesses those who obey. It fuels our obedience to him. Fourthly, remembering God's faithfulness fuels our love and our worship. When we stop and take time to look back, look in the scriptures, and see how great the love of God is for us and his faithfulness to us, it fuels our worship. Worship's not about us. It's all about the living God. Amen? It's all about God and what he has done for us. His faithfulness to his people all through the ages. It fuels our worship. So, brother and sister in Christ, as we remember God's faithfulness in both Scripture and history, I urge us all from the back row, the back, the back wall to the back wall, I would say every single one of us, allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, to my heart to challenge us and provoke us all to respond with deeper faith in God, a greater fear of the Lord, more thorough obedience to God, and a greater love for the Lord our God. So first of all, I want us to remember God's faithfulness to Old Testament Israel. You should have gotten a little bulletin and a yellow insert that has the sermon notes and text there, and you can follow along with that if you like. Remember the history of Israel up to this point of Joshua chapter 4. God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 12 and verse 3 in Genesis 15. God had delivered Israel from slavery to in Egypt through the Passover and the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. God had established Israel as his people for his possession at Mount Sinai in the giving of the covenant and the law. We remember that God is faithful. God had both endured their repeated sin and disobedience. And he had also preserved a remnant of them. Although a vast number had died in the wilderness as judgment for their sin and unbelief. God was faithful to his promises in preserving a remnant. God had disciplined both Moses and Aaron for their disobedience. Both had died and both had been buried in the wilderness. A sad Mark, but a, a stern reminder to those who would stand in leadership of God's people that God demands obedience, unwavering obedience, especially from those who would lead his people. But God in faithfulness, had raised up another leader to fill Moses' sandals. And now here, as they crossed the Jordan on dry ground, God had elevated the faithful, steadfast Joshua in the people's eyes with the realization that God was with him, just as he had been with Moses. The key to leadership of God's people is knowing that God is with us. God walks every step with us. His elevation in the sight of the people of God was directly related to the fact that the Lord was with him. and God had delivered Israel through the Jordan and into the promised land. So we remember God's faithfulness to his word and to his people. Notice the present setting of our text. The crossing of the Jordan River is behind them. The conquest of Jericho and all those Canaanite cities is still before them. And at this key pivotal moment... God through Joshua commands them to set up these memorial stones, 12 stones to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel and their deliverance by God through the Jordan River. God through Joshua commands fathers to inform their sons of his faithfulness to his people to save and deliver them. God's purpose For their remembrance and retelling is that all the nations may know that God's hand is mighty. That the people of God may fear the Lord forever. And if I could take a time out. Fathers, how are we doing with that? How have we done with telling our sons of the faithfulness of God in our lives faithfulness of God to his people all through scripture and through history they learn to fear the Lord when they see the faithfulness of God the works of God in scripture and in history as well consider God's faithfulness, his own faithfulness to remember his covenants. He remembers in Leviticus 26 and verse 42, the Bible says that God says, I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abram. And I will remember the land. In Psalm 111 verses 2 to 5, the Bible says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. Why does God record so much history, so much incredible works of his in scripture to fill up pages, to make our readings longer? No, he gives us all of those history stories so that we will remember what he has done and be caused to worship and fear and love and trust the Lord our God. God is faithful to remember his covenant relationships with us. The book of Deuteronomy preached by Moses just prior to this event in Joshua 4 has so much to say to God's people about the importance of remembering and not forgetting. In Deuteronomy 16 and verse 3, speaking of the feast of the Passover, he says, You shall eat it with unleavened bread, the blood of affliction, for you came out of Egypt in haste, so that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Brother and sister in Christ, it's a good practice to stop every so often and think about the day that you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can still I don't have very many memories of of the, the room or the, the place. I, I know the, the camp. The Bible camp where I was saved, but I can still remember, just like yesterday, sitting on that bunk and our camp counselor telling us the gospel so simply that a 13 year old Aussie kid in Canada could figure out what it meant and bowing my head and saying, I need that. I want to be saved. Save me, Lord. It's a good thing to remember that God's hand, His faithfulness in our salvation, Deuteronomy 16 and verse 3, we read that verse. Or similar commands given in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, and 16, verse 12, and 24, and verse 18. In fact, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy, what you're going to come up with over and over and over again is the, do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land. And one of the great problems they had was they continually and repeatedly forgot the Lord their God who brought them out of the land. And when they forgot him, they wandered off into sin and disobedience. And they had to be continually reminded and brought back again to know the God who saved them and delivered them. Even before they marched out of the land, Moses told them to remember. In Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, which describes the choosing of the Passover lamb, it's the very same day, the 10th day of the first month, which is described here in Joshua 4. They're 40 years apart. On the day of release from Egypt and slavery, and the day of crossing into the Canaan, in both passages, sons are to ask fathers, what is the meaning of this memorial? The Passover reminds them of God's deliverance from slavery, and the stones remind them of God's deliverance into the land. They're commanded to remember God's faithfulness to them. The Passover we know. Is a beautiful Old Testament picture and promise of one day the Lord Jesus Christ coming and our Lamb of God suffering and death, his suffering and death and resurrection to save his people, people of God, this people of God. Remember your salvation by God from slavery to sin and death and the grave. It will fuel your faith in God for the work that's to be done. It will fuel our fear of the Lord for his greatness. It will fuel our obedience, our love, and our worship of God. He goes on in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 18. And speaking of their enemies, Moses says, You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. And you can imagine those Israelites way back in that moment on the other side of the Red Sea, and they look back behind them and they see the sea crashing together and all of Egypt's army in the bottom of that sea being killed by the almighty hand of God in judgment. And Moses says, when you face your enemies, remember how God dealt with the enemies and the opposition in the past. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we face opposition our day, right? It's getting harder and quicker and harder and less veiled. And one day, there's going to be open, full-on persecution in Australia of the Christian churches. It's coming. In those days when it comes, we stop and we turn back and we remember God's faithfulness to his people. All through the history of both the Bible and the church history. And all those times when persecution came against the church. We remember how God dealt with that opposition. Just think about Korea. I love the story of Korea, right? Missionaries all kicked out in the 1920s, thereabouts. There's a few hundred thousand Christians in Korea and when they open the doors 40, 50 years later and they say, well, I wonder how many Christians are left. There's millions of them. Persecution didn't crush the church or get rid of it. It only made it grow exponentially. And we remember God's faithfulness to his people when that opposition comes. And Moses says to them, don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. He dealt with their opposition, remembering God's past deliverances from past enemies' opposition will fuel their faith and our faith and steadfastness in face of the opposition that is still coming against us. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, Moses says, You shall remember all the way the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Brother and sister in Christ, just out of curiosity, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but does anybody here keep a journal? like A daily journal, you know, Dear Diary, today I went to the bank, stuff like that. If You don't have to put your hand up, it's okay. I'm sure some of you do. In fact, I know some of you do. It's a really good thing as a Christian to keep a journal. Uh, I don't think Mrs. Taylor will mind me telling you the story, but she kept the journal all through uh, her bout with cancer. And years later, she went back and she started reading some of the things she wrote and the prayers she wrote and the things she went through. And she was reminded again and again of God's faithfulness to her through that difficult tape. Brother and sister in Christ, it's good to stop and sit down and remember our own walk with the Lord. To stop and think back about where God has taken us, the difficult places and the high places, the sweet grasses that we have enjoyed as God's sheep and the narrow trails we have followed him on and the great joys we've had and the great sorrows and struggles we've had. And through it all, God has been faithful to us. And we stop and look back, you'll see it in your own life. And when you do that, you'll realize that all those things God took you through, the difficult parts of the journey, as well as the good parts of the journey, you'll be reminded that God was keeping you going. He was with you every step of the way. And just as surely as he was with you then, he will be with you all the way to the end. till you finish the race? Moses remember, said to them, remember the way the Lord your God has led you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would obey or not. Remembering will fuel our faith in him to provide in the future. Israel was to remember God's faithfulness. He was faithful to lead them through the wilderness with the column of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He was faithful to deliver them from their enemies and he was faithful to provide for their needs. Daily bread from heaven, refreshing, life-giving water from the rock, sandals and clothes that did not wear out. He was faithful to fight their battles for them, and later in the conquest of Canaan, to drive out the enemies before them. But brother and sister in Christ, his faithfulness does not end there. I'm going to dispel a myth. The God of the Bible hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who could split the Red Sea hasn't changed. The God who who did all those things is exactly the same. And his faithfulness didn't stop the moment they closed the New Testament canon and called it done. He's exactly the same God today. He still lives and leads and loves his people. He's still faithful to his people in this day as then. And just as Israel was to remember God's faithfulness to them, so we, as God's people in this generation, are to remember God's faithfulness to us. We remember God's faithfulness to raise up and enlighten. I'm going to just take through history. I, sorry, walking around the UK for five weeks and going to those places and you walk into a church and, and you realize that that church has been staying on that spot since 800-something. And, and, you know, there's all these years of history. And you see the works that God did before Australia was even founded. Get your head around that one. So I'm going to just draw on some of these key, beautiful moments of church history to remind us of God's faithfulness to us. We remember God's faithfulness to raise up and enlighten the early church scholars and pastors and preachers, men like Athanasius and Augustine and the Cappadocian brothers and so many others, men that God used to formulate from Scripture our Christian theology, defining and recognizing the canon of Scripture, formulating the Trinitarian nature of God and the dual nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's things in our understanding, in our beliefs, that we almost take for granted, you realize it took 300 years to figure out the canon of Scripture and, and nail it all down? It took them years of working and thinking and wrestling with the truths of Scripture to define and understand the Trinitarian nature of, Christ, of God and the dual nature of Christ. But God was faithful to his people to lead them through that. We remember God's faithfulness to preserve the church through the great persecutions in the dark ages when biblical truth was put aside in favor of man's traditions and teachings. And we remember God's faithfulness to open the eyes of the 16th century reformers, men like Jan Hus and Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer and Thomas Cranmer, and so many others beside them. God used them and so many others to rediscover, to preach, and to defend the great truths of our salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based on the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We hang on to those things. And we remember God's faithfulness in raising up men to rediscover and to preach and to defend those truths. And they defended them with their lives in some cases. Those three guys that died, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, and Thomas Cranmer, they were those men. We went to a place called the White Horse Inn. And don't worry about it. And uh, we went in this little tiny little thing, low ceilings. You get duck on the door. And we—I remember reading in my church history class that those three guys used to meet in there over, pardon this, pots of ale, to discuss Luther's new teaching. Later, those men died for their faith. God has been faithfully preserving his church, his truth, and his people. Those men were faithful men of conviction. Just time out for a second. Are we men of conviction today? Are we a people of convictions? They stood there. One of them recanted his faith initially. I think it was Cranmer. You can check me and yeah, Heather's saying yes. And was he recanted when he signed it. And he walked back into the same church. I think it was just a short time after, maybe a week or two afterwards. And he reversed his recantation. He said, no, no, I will stand on what I believe. And they chained him to the stake, to burn him at the stake. And he said, this was the hand that signed that that recantation, and he put it down into the fire and he said, this will burn first. Put your hand over, put your finger over a candle flame. Now imagine he put his hand in the fire until it burned down to a nub. They were men of conviction, faithful men that God faithfully used to preserve and lead his church forward. We remember God's faithfulness to raise up and use the 17th century Puritan pastors and their convictions about the need for ongoing purifying reform. They preached and pastored and wrote at times under stiff persecution from the state church in England. And from God, through them, the church has inherited some of its richest Christian ministry through those Puritan writings. Why? Because God is faithful to his people, and God is no less faithful today than then. I'll tell you another story. The good news is there's lunch after this, so if I go to like 1 o'clock, it won't matter. Don't worry. And I'm not going to 1 o'clock. Don't worry about that either. Uh, We had the opportunity to go to Bedford. Uh, Some of you may know what Bedford, England, is so significant for. It's uh, John Bunyan's church. And we went there, and we, we got there late, and they were... I think they were going to close, and they agreed to give us a tour, and and, uh, the tour guy went one direction, and uh, she had to go do something, and another man was there, and he said, well, I'll take you over to the church, and I'll show you the church. I said, sure, we went over there, and they showed us this beautiful old church built in the 19th century, but it had all these beautiful stained glass windows describing uh, scenes out of Pilgrim's Progress. And up the front on this raised up way up high was this beautiful uh, pulpit up there. And there's another pulpit over in the museum where Bunyan supposedly preached uh, once in his lifetime. And you can go and stand in the little pulpit and get your picture taken. But as you walk out the sanctuary, we're there for a few minutes, and we walk through like a door right here. And right around behind the wall, in a little alcove, there was, behind a a rope, there was another pulpit. And we walked by, and of course, I just had to notice, right? And I said, oh, what's that? And he said... Well, that's Bunyan's pulpit. I said, like the pulpit he used to preach from. And he said, yeah, the, the very one he used to preach from for many years here. And I said, um, you know, I'm a Baptist pastor. You know, do you think maybe I could? And he said, he goes, well, he goes, I'm really not supposed to do this. And he said, but if you're quick, and I was over that thing so quick, I'll tell you. And I stood up here in that pulpit. And it was one of the most moving moments of the whole trip for me. For two reasons. I stood in the pulpit and I looked down. And the, the, the paint was all worn off. And the boards where he stood were sort of hollowed out a little bit. And I put my hands down where Bunyan put his hands. And just imagine what it would be like to preach. And as I was standing there. And I was just enjoying this amazing moment. Kind of just thinking about Bunyan. And all the things he did. And all the things he I became aware of something else. On the, the wall beside the pulpit. There was this big heavy slab timbered door and it had hand wrought iron strap hinges and and there was little bars that were hand wrought iron over a little peephole and I, I looked at it I had to see what that was so I came down out of the pulpit which was a bit of painful and then walked over and I looked at the little plaque and it said this is a prison door that was taken from the Bedford jail just before it was demolished a door like this was where Bunyan was kept behind that door. And I went home and the next day Heather was really sick so she slept in and I went downstairs early and I was sitting with my Bible open and all of a sudden it hit me so hard. Prison and a pulpit. Two great tools that God used in that man's life. He used the pulpit for that man to preach his conviction and he was a great preacher When he would go to London to preach, but if he he was preaching at 7 a.m., by 5 in the morning, there were thousands of people flooding across London to get to where Bunyan was going to preach. He was a great preacher. But what really hit me was that those two go together. The prison door and the pulpit. Most people don't know half or even a, a quarter of Bunyan's books. They know one. Where was it written? Not from the pulpit; but it was written from the prison. And brothers and sisters, God used men of great conviction. And you think, ooh, wow, Bunyan. No, that's wrong. Wow, Bunyan's God. And I made a mistake, really, in, in prizing that moment. And it was special. But it's not Bunyan, it's Bunyan's God. It's Bunyan's God who was faithful to him. It was Bunyan's God who gave him the conviction that he said, I won't walk out of this prison. His prison door, I don't know if you know this, was uh, figuratively unlocked and open. All he had to do was say, I promise not to preach. And they would have said, out you go, off, on your way. But he said, I will not. His unnamed wife said, oh, sir, don't you understand? He would sooner stop breathing than stop preaching. And he stayed in that prison because of his convictions. And he was faithful to God, no matter whether it was behind a pulpit or behind a prison door. And God in faithfulness uses men of great conviction. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a call on us today. Me personally, a huge call to conviction about the things of the the word of God and faithfulness to God that says, I would sooner stay behind a prison door in a day before social programs would care for his wife and kids. And he made little hand-cut leather laces to raise money to pay for their upkeep and the church supported them while he was in there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God doesn't use great men. He greatly uses faithful men of conviction. And when I say men, I obviously mean men and women. We remember God's faithfulness. We remember God's faithfulness to raise up the 18th and 19th century evangelical movement, the Wesley brothers and George Whitville, who went up and down the Eastern, the Western, Eastern seaboard of the United States, traveled back and forth 13 times, preaching the gospel everywhere he went. Preached an average of nine times a week for most of his life. Jonathan Edwards, Charles Simeon, Spurgeon, Ryle, so many others. Their lives, their actions, their writings, their sermons still have a powerful influence even today. Why? Because God is faithful to his people to raise up and use men like that. And here today, we remember God's faithfulness in seeing the gospel preached in Noble Park. And this very church planted and established and built up over 42 plus years working through faithful, ordinary men. Daryl City and Freddie Samuels and Harry Seawright and Brian Harper and others. Faithful men and women used of God in preaching and teaching God's work, God's word. In Sunday school and in missions and evangelism, in, in the eldership and the diaconate, we remember the faithfulness of God working through ordinary people to build a church. If you look on the back uh, board up there, there's a bunch of photographs that uh, the Harpers brought. And if you watch the video afterwards on that screen back there, you're going to see a couple of scenes. In there, uh, most of us, you'll remember Irene Perry. She passed away just uh, a year and a half or so ago now. Irene and Ken used to put their kids to bed over on Buckley Street and walk across, and they would mix up concrete. And Ken told me when we first came here uh, stories about laying the bricks for the foundation, and he laughed and said he was such a bad bricklayer that only let him lay bricks below ground. (laughs) But ordinary people, ordinary faithful people that God uses to build his church, Don't stand here this morning and say, I can't be used of God because I don't have this or that or the other thing. I don't have great learning. I can't preach. I can't do this. I'm no good at that or the other thing. No, God is not interested in your abilities, your talents, or your learning. God is interested in your faithfulness to him. We've bought into a dumb idea that says you've got to be somebody for God to use you. Look at the history. William Carey, right? Dirt poor cobbler, working on his little bench, fixing shoes, put a map of the world behind him and marked all the places where the gospel had not gone and began to pray that God would raise up somebody to go to India. And God did. William Carey was raised up to go to India. God's got a sense of humor too. Don't kid yourself. But listen, it's not about great ability and great talent. It's about a great God using greatly people who are faithful to him in the little things. Men and women of conviction who will not put aside the truth. That's a call to us today. Remember the faithfulness of God working through ordinary people to build a church. Mothers like Edna Jeno, who brought her three children to Sunday school. Parents like Irene and Ken Perry. And you know, brothers and sisters, if the Lord does not return soon, we look forward in anticipation to seeing God's faithfulness to raise up another generation. Elders and deacons, missionaries and evangelists, Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, we pray and plead with God to raise up men and women of conviction who will stand firm on the truth, faithful to the Lord their God, no matter what comes against them, and God in his faithfulness will do so. Listen, brothers and sisters, all those names I just mentioned, in addition to those listed in Scripture, they're all ordinary men and women. Born in sin, saved by God's grace, filled with God's spirit, growing in sanctification, although still prone to weaknesses and failures. All of them looking forward to God's promises realized and used by God despite their weaknesses and sometimes used by God because of their weaknesses. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God is not so much. I'm going to keep saying this. He's not so much interested in great abilities or great talents or great learning. God doesn't use the greatness of great men and women. Rather, God greatly uses the faithfulness of ordinary men and women. But you know what? There is one whom God used who was unlike every other. One faithful, as one man different to all others, the God-man Christ Jesus, who is God's greatest servant, unlike any and every other man. The Son of God came as the greatest expression and display of God's faithfulness to his people. When mankind rebelled and fell into sinful state before God, he promised to redeem us and save us through his Messiah. And in Genesis 3.16, Christ was promised to Adam and Eve as the seed, the descendant who would come and crush the head of the serpent, Satan himself, to redeem us back to God. In Genesis 12, verse 3, Christ was promised to Abraham as the seed and the descendant in whom God would bless all the nations of the earth. And the wonderful thing about Noble Park Baptist Church, you know what I love about this place? One of the many things. We all come from so many different backgrounds. We can look at Genesis 12 and 3 and go, yep, God kept that promise. Here we are. (laughs) Right? Right? In Genesis 22 and verse 8, Christ was promised to Isaac by God through Abraham as the lamb to be provided by God for the offering. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Christ was promised by God through Moses to Israel as a prophet like Moses who would come. To him they should listen. 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 and 13, Christ was promised by God to David as his descendant and king to reign on the father's throne forever. In Isaiah chapters 42 and 49 and 50 and 52 and 53, Christ was promised by God through Isaiah to all God's people as the suffering servant who would come and suffer and die for his people to redeem us to God. And God is faithful to keep his promises. The son of God came in fulfillment of his promises, conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the virgin. He was born of the virgin, truly God and truly man. He was worshipped at his birth by foreign kings. He was hidden in Egypt and raised in Nazareth. He grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men, and he was revealed to Israel at his baptism as God's beloved son in whom God greatly delighted. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as faithfulness of God. When you read the Gospels, you see all the things about the Lord Jesus. Remember, God is faithful. He came preaching the Gospel and healing the sick and cleansing lepers and casting out demons. He came quieting storms and feeding thousands and seeking the lost. Jesus Christ is the greatest expression of the faithfulness of God to his people. Christ predicted his own suffering and death and resurrection. He wrestled in prayer in the garden, yet submitted himself unreservedly to the Father's will, not his own. He was betrayed by one disciple. He was denied by his friend. He was abandoned by all his followers. He was delivered by the determined plan and foreknowledge of God into the hands of cruel and wicked men. They took him and nailed him to a cross between two thieves. At the final moment of his death, think of this, brothers and sisters, he pushed down on the nails in the hands and in feet. He got a great lung full of air, demonstrating to everybody in front of him that the cross did not kill him. And he shouted and declared the faithfulness of God. It is finished. All the promises that had been made were finished. All the work that had been given him to do was finished. It was done. God's faithfulness was there in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and beyond that into his resurrection. God in faithfulness to himself and to his word and to his people fulfilled the promises of a savior to come. He redeemed his people through the death of Christ on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And God raised him from death declaring to all that Jesus Christ is the son of almighty God. And so in Christ alone, there is forgiveness of sin. In Christ alone, there is reconciliation to God. Why? Because we deserved it? A thousand times no. There are these things because God is faithful. In Christ alone, there's reconciliation. There's fellowship with God. In Christ alone, there is hope beyond the grave. And in Christ alone, there is salvation and peace and lasting joy. God's faithfulness is remembered every time we partake of the elements of communion. The bread reminds us of his body given for us, and the wine or the juice reminds us of his blood shed for us. We proclaim his death, if you like. We proclaim the faithfulness of God every time we remember the Lord in communion. So what do we do with all this? I mean, it's great to get up here and and shout and wave my arms and talk about the faithfulness of God, but what do we take home with us? It's not enough to come to a celebration, have a great barbecue lunch, and go home and think, good day. I want us to go home changed. All of us. For those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we remember the faithfulness of God with a purpose. Remembering His faithfulness fuels our faith in Him. Do you trust in God? Not just for your salvation. The Bible says we live by faith. The whole of life is an exercise of faith in God. Are you living and walking by faith in God alone, who is worthy of all our trust and dependence as the God who never fails? God greatly uses those whose faith is in him. Secondly, God's faithfulness to us fuels our fear of God. Brother and sister in Christ, do you fear the Lord? Do you live and move and think and operate out of a deep fear and awe and amazement of the living God? When you open the scriptures and read, does it cause you to tremble? Stop and think about the faithfulness of God. It fuels our fear of the Lord. Thirdly, remembering God's faithfulness to us fuels our obedience to him. Brother and sister in Christ, Christ, is your life, is my life marked by obedience to the living God? It's fine to get into a sermon and go, yeah, amen, great, love it, preach it, boy. But if your life is not marked by obedience, it's utter hypocrisy. Remembering God's faithfulness fuels our obedience to him. What is it in your life that both your conscience and the Holy Spirit are convicting you of right now that you need to start doing or stop doing? And before God, are you willing to say, like Jesus did not my will but yours be done and then submit in submitting obedience remembering God's faithfulness fuels our worship and our love for God To remember and to call to mind God's faithfulness, faithfulness to us, his people, provides the ground, the motive for us to love and worship him. To recognize that God in love for his own glory and his people in grace and kindness has saved us. He's washed us and he's filled us with his spirit. He's called us to follow him and to finish the work that he began And has been carrying on through so many who came before us. Remembering God's faithfulness to us fuels our love for him. And love that springs and and flows out in obedience to him. Brother and sister in Christ, do you love the Lord your God? Is he your greatest desire and the delight of your eyes of mine? remembering and feasting our souls on the faithfulness of God will fuel that love, that desire for him. But for those who are here today, this morning, who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, the message of good news for you is so simple. The very same God who designed and created you to know and live in the fullness of joy and peace with great hope has dealt with the one thing that hinders all three, there's no the reason the problem that you have no lasting joy, no lasting peace, and no sustaining hope is that you, because of your sin and disobedience to God, have been cut off from God. The Bible makes it absolutely clear: you are spiritually dead, separated from God because of sin. But God dealt with your sin by sending Jesus Christ his only begotten son, to die to pay the penalty for all your sin. Listen to what the Bible says. These verses are on your note sheet. If you've never seen it or don't know them, you can look down and read them. or we'll take them with you and read later. Romans 5.8, the Bible says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, But God made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 3.16, the Bible says, as you all know so well, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what do we do? How do How do you respond Mark 1 verses 14 and 15 from Jesus' own lips. This is the response that he calls from us. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And when you do, you will know the faithfulness of God to a much greater level. And that's just the beginning. Brother and sister in Christ, we give thanks this morning We praise and worship our God for his faithfulness to us. And I hope and I pray that as we finish up, we wrap up our time and we go and enjoy some fellowship and some good food. I hope and I pray that the spirit of God would work in your heart, taking those scriptures and these truths and and stir up that faithfulness. Stir up that desire to be a men and women of conviction who will stand fast, stand firm on the truth, unwavering, no matter what happens. That we will, like Bunyan, choose to stay behind the prison door, then deny our call and deny the Lord. I hope and I pray that remembering God's faithfulness will fuel your faith, fuel your obedience, fuel your fear of the Lord and your love for the Lord. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to remember the Lord around the table. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give thanks again this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this greatest display of your faithfulness to your word and to your people. Father, we give thanks that you are a God who faithfully keeps your promises. And Father, we look forward to the reality that Christ is returning. There is a day coming soon and very soon when faith will give way to sight and we will see him as he is, as he returns in power and great glory. Father, we give thanks. Praise you, O God, for the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, your faithfulness to us. Father, we ask you, that you would do your work in each one of us, that we would be stirred up and spurred on to be men and women of great conviction, conviction based on the truth of the living God in the word of God. Father, we ask you for your blessing and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.